Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers. My name is Ralph Velasco, and we are in episode number 69. I'm here with my co-host, Ugo Che, of course. Ugo, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, here. Still uh, still got balmy weather here. It uh, looks like winter has ended like a month ago, and we are in full into spring right now. Winter is not coming back, maybe. Who knows? Well, you were saying that it's 20 degrees centigrade there. I think it's 20 degrees Fahrenheit here in Chicago <laughs> and in New York, where Steve is, our guest. Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, it's uh, it's cold here. And, uh, yeah, just uh, by virtue of the fact that Hugo's in Italy, I think a place many of our listeners would love to be sitting right now. Uh, uh, Hugo might be doing the best of, of the three. I, I don't know. We We might have great weather now but maybe in a week or so it will be snowing you never know march is crazy so yeah. fair enough you go but you're still in italy yeah. which yeah. <laughs> uh, is a place that many of us would like to be hanging yeah. out in well folks i'm sure you recognize that voice that's steve simon someone that i've been following for a long long time now and over the past several years he's become a friend of mine and so i knew we had to have him on the show uh, Steve's been on many, many podcasts as both host and guest, and we're really great, glad to have him on this episode of TTIM. A little bit of a background about Steve. Uh, Steve is a New York City-based street and travel photographer and the man behind the very popular book called The Passionate Photographer, the subtitle of which is Ten Steps to Becoming Great. That's a great subtitle. Steve is a highly sought-after speaker, and I've spoken on the same docket with him at both the Out of Chicago and Out of New York photography conferences this past year. He leads many street photography workshops in New York City, where he lives, and has also organized and led workshops to Cuba, which we'll talk about in a bit. And his upcoming workshops include Tokyo and Vancouver, two of my favorite cities. Welcome to the show, Steve. Welcome. Hey Ralph, it's uh, and Hugo. It's great to to be with you guys uh, this morning here in uh, in frigid Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Excellent. Great. It's a great pleasure to have you here, and uh, I would like to to start our conversation by talking about your book that uh, Ralph just mentioned. So, if you want to give us a little overview of what the book is about, uh, how is it different from other photography books that one can find on the market? Uh, sure, Hugo. I mean, the book was written now, it's, it's written about six years ago, but but it's, it's relatively timeless because it's not a very technical book. And it really just comes from the fact that, you know, throughout my photographic career as a journalistic and documentary photographer, and now more of a street and travel workshop leader, you know, I've, I've, I've worked, um, you know, I've, I've gathered some experience, of course, and, and I wanted to, and I've always been teaching throughout my career, and I wanted to kind of uh, create a book that really just talked, it, it is very personal and talks about uh, my process. And, and I think that, um, 
you know, fortunately, uh, my process has resonated with a lot of photographers, and I I talk about I talk about just from my own personal experience um, some of the things that have really helped me as a photographer, and you know, really the ultimate uh, number one thing is was was to to get a little bit selfish and a little bit more personal because you know the more personal you are in terms of what it is that you shoot and how you shoot it, um, really the more universal it becomes. Um, by being personal, I think that is communicated in the photographs that you take. So you're not necessarily looking to capture you know, what you've seen before, but you really want to respond to your own feelings about a place or a situation and try and capture that in a way that uh, reflects kind of how you felt. And, you know, when successful, I think uh, the images uh, are stronger because of it. And people people can really uh, feel um, the personal nature of the photograph that you've captured. So I'm reading from the description of, uh, of the book on Amazon. And it says, uh, if you've got a love and passion for photography, a feel for your camera gear and settings, yet your images still fall short, the passionate photographer will help you close that disappointing and frustrating gap between the images you thought you took and the images you actually got. And this actually resonated a lot with me because I was um, just a few days ago, I sent out uh, an email to my newsletter, to my readers, asking, what, what, they, what are you struggling with? And I got that kind of uh, question, and I get it a lot, and I got it this time as well. And some people asking and telling me that they feel like they're in a, they're in a rut, they cannot see progress in their photography, they, have a, they think their photography is mediocre, and so on. So uh, that, that's a very common common situation, I think, for, for many people, myself included at times. Yeah, so yeah, what, what, what kind of advice would you give to, to those people in a nutshell, aside from, of course, from buying your book and getting the, the whole scoop? <laughs> but if you can summarize... Yeah, no, listen, I'll, I'll spill all the secrets so you don't have to right. buy the book. But, but basically, you know, I, I think that um, that feeling of the gap between, you know, what your expectations are in the field and maybe a little disappointment back at home. I mean, really, it just comes from experience to a certain degree. And I think that, you know, as you go through a volume of work and start to sort of fix mistakes, the, the one thing that I, I, I mentioned here, you know, the gear and settings. I mean, I think that the technical is the easiest thing to fix. It's probably the least important part of the photographic process in terms of wanting to create strong imagery. But there is no shortcut around it. So if there are technical issues and you don't quite understand kind of what's going on, you need to really uh, attack it. You can't go around it. You have to sort of figure out what it is, that why your pictures are not in focus, learn the autofocus system properly. Um, there are ways to do things better. Understand, you know, depth of field, shutter speed, of course, all that stuff. Um, but beyond that, I, I think that for me, sometimes when I get into the field and I'm in a new and exciting experience, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. And even after all these years, I have to kind of, all right, take a deep breath, shake my head, and then get to work. Because sometimes when you're in this incredible i know you guys are traveling all the time you're, you're in this amazing place that maybe you've never been to before and with your camera you start to shoot sometimes it's really just recording a literal um, image of what it is that's in front of you but 
as a photographer, in order to get the stronger images, um, it's more, there's more to it than that. That's your starting point. From there, and I detail in the book, but it's my process. That's your starting point. And from there, you've got to kind of move around. You've got to eye to the camera, see how things look. And the more you sort of do this compositional dance, if you will, get out of your comfort zone, get in close, and really kind of be in the moment and experience what it is that where it is that you are when you do that that gap starts to close um but it just takes a little bit of practice it takes the realization that yeah i've got to do more than just you know stand in front of stuff and click the shutter i've got to get involved i've got to get closer i want to see what things look like really close the strongest picture sometimes for me is just, you know, a little kind of urban landscape. It's a sign that's beautifully illuminated as opposed to all the other stuff. And, you know, even after all these years, um, sometimes what I think is the picture in the field, the one I'm kind of most interested in getting back home and looking at, isn't really the one. And, and, and I, I think that when you're in the field, um, to close that gap, you've got to not think so much. You've got to work it. You've got to move around. You've got to try a variety of different things. Often it's the light that's attracting me first. I'm going to start there. And I think the more you do that, the more you learn from those experiences. And when you're editing, um, you know, you'll make note, mental note. And the next time you're out in the field, you'll subconsciously fast track to the stronger images. But, you know, there are no shortcuts. You just have to continue the process and, and shoot a volume. The other thing I will say is that I think if you take on a personal project, that can have a powerful transformative effect on your work because it means that you're focusing on some aspect or subject or group or you know something that interests you, something maybe hopefully that you're passionate about or you're scared of or you want to find out more about. And the more you work in that targeted way, you know, an inch wide, a mile deep, the more you start to peel the onion and get stronger work because, you know, your first you know, session, you get, you know, three interesting images. And when you go back again to continue the coverage, you've already got those images. So you're looking for something new. And the more you work it, the stronger it gets and the better it gets. And then what you learn from that experience, you can apply to all the photography you do and all the encounters that you have with your camera. I think uh, what you said is really important and uh, somehow aligns with what I, I answer to those people that send me emails asking uh, advice about that. And is that, uh, I mean, right now you, you feel you're, uh, you're stuck in a rut, you're not progressing and so on, but many people don't realize that it, it really takes a long time. It takes a lot of practice. You have to put in long hours photographing if you want to get better. There is no, there are no shortcuts, as you said. But <laughs> the thing that, that you that you said here, and I think it's very important, is that you don't just have to to practice. You just then don't have to go out and shoot, but you have to do so deliberately. You have to yes. look at the scene. You have to work it. You have to try different angles. You have to have something. Uh, in mind, like an aim, a personal project, a goal. I want to go out and shoot uh, people with uh, red hair, something like that. Even yeah. silly, something like that, but which focuses you and uh, and lets you 
practice deliberately because just practice practice itself is not enough. You need to practice deliberately at least. That's yeah. that's my yeah. I mean, I with me my advice. I don't absolutely, know if absolutely. I agree. And I, you know, again, what I'm saying, I know that we're kind of you know many of the things were all on target. They're, I'm not necessarily saying anything new, but you know, when you go out there um, with a bit of a mission or an assignment, you know, when you know what you're looking for, it's easier to find it. Now, as a street photographer, I love the serendipity of just going out and shooting, but sometimes, you know, by focusing on one corner and spending time there, and let's face it, you know, it's a bit of a numbers game. You know, if in I'll use the baseball analogy in North America, you know, if you hit three out of ten. You're you're a superstar in baseball and you're making millions of dollars. You know, it's a bit of a numbers game for photographers who are capturing things out of your out of their control. I mean, it's one thing to be a studio photographer; that's different. But when you're out in the world trying to get these five star images, you know, it's not going to happen every day. You know, you're you're always going to be out there with great expectations. But as we know, um, our expectations mostly exceed what we end up getting and that's just the fact of photography <laughs> excuse me and you know the more you're out there the better the chances are that you are going to ultimately get that five-star image and the more you focus your attention on a particular story or a particular place the more you start to see about that place the more you start to understand about the images you're taking and then maybe most importantly the images that you haven't taken yet so that you can go back and and shoot something new try something new that you've never done before uh, i i think the other thing that i say guys is that you know we know what we're doing in terms of getting the images that we've that we get but unless we shake it up a little and try something new we're not necessarily going to see anything so I, I sometimes, when I remember that, I will try and do th some things that are a little bit different or things, you know, maybe experiment with slow shutter speeds or, you know, getting really tight and see what happens just to mix it up. Because often we tend to, I'm a bit lazy, you know, I, I shoot from a standing position rather than a crouching position. I, I do like the articulating uh, review screens these days because that helps me to get some more interesting angles. But, but shaking it up, too, will help you get out of a rut. But I really believe, though, ultimately, if you can find a little project that you have access to, that you can go out there and shoot, um, uh, you'll shoot your way out of the rut. Don't think about it. Just get out there. Not always, you know, you know it's like going for a workout. You know, you don't want to go. But once you've gone, you're really happy you did. And shooting sometimes is like that. Right. That's great advice. Um, you know, I really enjoyed your video behind the scenes with Steve Simon on your website at the passionatephotographer.com. Uh, this is uh, something that you filmed in Dubai. Tell us how that came about. Oh, sure. Well, you know, one of my fortunate uh, uh, experiences um, is to hook up with uh, uh, the the manufacturer Nikon or Nikon as it's properly called in Japan. So I've done a lot of assignments for for Nikon in Japan, and you know this is a bittersweet uh, assignment that I most recently had were the new DL cameras, and you know I, I went with uh, prototypes of the DLs, and I shot in Cuba and I shot in Dubai. I even went more recently um, to Lisbon, you know, on assignment, and then ultimately, sadly, the the camera manufacturer they they decided not to to come out with these cameras, which I was really excited and looking forward to. Wow. But that particular video did you was, keep one? Uh, uh, did you keep one? Uh, one 
it, it would be a collectibles item nowadays. Uh, unfortunately, they're very strict and they want them back. Okay. So unfortunately, I could not uh, could not keep one. Um, you know, when you're doing these kinds of you're shooting raw plus JPEG, but of course the raw file is no, is not completely finished yet, and you know the firmware is constantly being sort of upgraded, so the camera isn't exactly in final final form. But uh, no, I couldn't keep one. Um, I'm hopeful though that maybe you know I, I know nothing more than you guys do about what's coming. And I knew in, in that particular instance a little bit more about that camera, but but uh, I hope that we'll see more of that that kind of camera from them. But yeah, that's that's the one, Ralph, that you were talking about. It was made really commercially for for them, just to to show kind of um, you know my experience in Dubai. I went to a camel festival, which was fun. Um, you know, Dubai. Um, uh, you know, the architecture there is amazing. And that's why I chose to take the 18 to 50 millimeter. It's got that super wide 18 millimeter. I figure, you know, how do you fit Dubai, you know, within the frame? You need a wide angle lens. So I thought that would be a good place to, to shoot it. How is uh, street photography in a place like Dubai? How uh, is your relationship with the people? Are they open to being photographed? Well, very good question. And of course, you know, as a street photographer, you know, it's it's not always an easy experience and you know, it's sometimes controversial. There your 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 listenership uh, will probably be aware of, you know, guys like Bruce Gilden who are very kind of aggressive and in your face and you know, I can't imagine his technique going very far in Dubai because it's actually um, you know, the legalities in Dubai are a little bit different. You can't even legally, if I remember correctly, just do street photography of people uh, kind of without their permission. I know that because I was using my tripod a lot, because I was shooting a lot of architecture with that little camera, um, every time I planted my tripod, regardless of where I was, in about you know, as long as 10 minutes, someone would come up to me to tell me I can't do that. So, so it's, you know, the short answer is it's not easy necessarily, but that said, um, I've led workshops in Dubai out of uh, Gulf Photo Plus, which is this great organization there. They do a, a great workshop every year. And we've done a lot of street photography in the fish markets and, and, you know, in the places that you want to be as a photographer, street photography is fine to do in, in Dubai. Um, you know, it, it depends where you are. If you're in a suburban neighborhood, of course, it's going to raise more eyebrows, uh, but likely uh, not be as interesting as some of the more crowded places you're going to be drawn to, to do street photography there. The thing about Dubai and the Emirates in general, that uh, they're not your typical Arab country. I mean, very few people realize that maybe, I think, 10 to 15% of the population of the Emirates are actually Emirati or how you call them. I mean, they're yes. citizens of the Emirates. 85% are expats, Europeans, yes. Americans, uh, and all the workers from, the, from India and Bangladesh and Pakistan. So it's, it's not your typical Arab country. It can be very different from, I just was in neighboring Oman and it's totally, well, it's, it's a bit like that in that there's a lot of expats there, but if you go to places like Morocco or Egypt, they are completely different in terms of population distribution yeah, population. yes 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 that's so true and and i think that you know as much as you can do your research before going to a place um you know there's absolutely no substitute for for being there and you're right i mean 
Dubai is is definitely a very kind of westernized Arab country, no question. You know, you've got your Starbucks, you can you can all the things you're familiar with, um, you know, in the Western culture in terms of uh, you know it's a very materialistic society in a lot of ways too, with the great malls, etc. But yeah, it's 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 a little bit different than some of the other places. And I I you know having been to Dubai many times, I've never made it to Oman. I would I would love to. I know that. Uh, it's a little bit smaller, probably similar, but you know, because it's smaller, it's a little more intimate in terms of shooting. Um, but you're right, like Morocco is another place that I've been to as a, as a photographer and was a little disappointed in the sense that it wasn't always so easy for me to photograph the people there. And for me, you know, the people are my passionate are my passion in terms of subject matter on the streets. I mean, anything interesting photographically I'm drawn to, but it's really the people are the, the great challenge for me as a photographer. So yeah, it's, it's every, every place is different. No question. Yeah. I can have definitely agree with what you say about Morocco. It's not easy to, to photograph the people there. So yeah, <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. You know, Steve, uh, you, you do a lot of street shooting. We've talked about it. Uh, why is it, do you suppose, that uh, most street photographers are presenting their work in black and white? I mean, what is it that uh, lends itself to monochrome when it comes to street photography? Well, you know, that's a it's a great topic to bring up. I don't know, Ralph, if if most street photographers are necessarily shooting, you know, black or ultimately uh, presenting in black and white. But certainly there's there's a great number. I mean, I'm a huge fan of black and white. And I think that for me, um, the the you know, for a guy who has commitment issues, it's difficult because back in the day, because I come from film, you know, you had to decide I'm shooting black and white because that was the choice. You shot black and white film or color film. Even though you saw the world through the viewfinder in living color, your mindset was black and white. But as digital photographers, um, you know, we, we know that we want to be shooting kind of raw because it'll give us our best black and white rendering. And because of that, I think that for me... Um, I'm not doing as much black and white as I should. I'm not necessarily thinking in black and white. I've always been sort of a content photographer, thinking of the content of the scene. And because most recently I've been to places, you know, like Cuba quite often, I know you, you travel there a lot too, where the light is beautiful and it just feels like color to me. Uh, yet I understand the power of black and white. And when you see, you know, when I look at images shot by a photographer uh, in Cuba in black and white, I'm reminded that, oh my God, yeah, black and white can work really well there. So, you know, what your issue is, is one that I think is important because being this, this, you know, black and white kind of cuts to the content. In many ways, it's easier, I think, and I've said it before, that good color photography amplifies the content, but a lot of color can, can distract from the image. You know, you can have a beautiful, strong image, but you've got this little yellow piece of paper in the corner of the frame that is distracting or taking the eye to it. Um, color is often more difficult. I think color is more dependent on light. I think the golden light being the scene and warm light tends to, to subdue distracting colors. I think in many ways color is more difficult, but 
because our cameras now tend to shoot in black and uh, shoot in color, uh, we have to make the 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 extra move of converting them to black and white. On my Nikon camera, I'll sometimes set the picture control to monochrome, so that even though I'm shooting raw, I'll see a black and white image on my review screen. So it helps me to kind of feel what it is that I'm doing. Um, but you know, it's a good question. I'm in that dilemma now. I think that I need to um, think more about black and white, think more about the street images that I'm taking and consider the black and white option or just just do it, you know, just decide, okay, this is going to be black and white. But black and white is timeless. It's powerful. It's a, it's a nostalgic and it's, and it's beautiful. And it's, it's a little bit unrealistic in a sense so that, you know, it, the, the images take on uh, a different kind of communication. Um, but it's something that, uh, you know, you hit a nerve with me because I, I definitely, um, I think it's a time factor. I know we're all busy, you know, as freelance, uh, you know, uh, photographers, there's a million things that we're doing. And I know you guys are doing workshops and podcasts and, you know, the shooting when you're doing it, you know, do you have the real time to, to edit and think about things? And, and I think that, um, you know, our, our, the listeners out there should, uh, be happy if they're not a full-time photographer in many ways, because when they turn their attention to photography, they can really turn their attention to photography. And photographers themselves, I think, may be shooting less than some of the uh, listeners out there who have full-time jobs, just because of the reality of of life. Uh, I, I I'm in one, I'm in that position for sure, shooting less <laughs> than than most amateurs probably are. Uh, you know, speaking of Cuba, you and I had spoken about a month ago, and you were just getting ready to head to Cuba with a group. Uh, how long have you been going there, and what kind of uh, changes, if any, have you seen since you've been visiting? Yeah, well, I think you know, and you probably feel the same way. I mean, Cuba, uh, for a human being to go there is is a wonderful place because, you know, the people are beautiful. You know, as a photographer... <laughs> Um, the added bonus is, you know, your environment is really spectacular. Now, you know, when you look at Cuba and you look at the the crumbling architecture, this beautiful architecture, um, I think we all as photographers see beauty in a lot of, you know, the deterioration of what's going on there. Um, but uh, the experiences in Cuba have been wonderful in terms of the people and the photography. You know, the, the light is beautiful there. And again, because in Old Havana, the streets are very narrow, even, you know, during harsh times, there's often a lot of beautiful indirect light, which means that as a photographer, there's not a lot of time for a break. Um, I've been going there since 2012, uh, which is not all that long. But even in the short time that I've been going and uh, started leading workshops in 2015, which is not that long ago, but I've, I've been there many times now, um, I've seen the, the amount of tourism increase uh, quite a bit. Now, this whole idea of Americans coming to Cuba and invading, it'll never be the same, and there'll be McDonald's and all that, I, I don't believe that is happening. Um, you know, just because, you know, the population there, as we know, is very, very poor. It's an educated population ready, you know, to, to make a positive, you know, lift or change economically in people's lives. 
but that's you know been a little slow in coming and this invasion of america and of course you know i'm a canadian and you know canadians have been going to cuba a long long time and europeans um but the americans uh you know, all these airlines that have started flights. I, I think the prices shot up, as we know. So the hotels were very expensive and they were booked and it was hard to find accommodation. But already, guys, we're seeing that it's not happening the way they ex- you're, st- you're starting to see airlines cut back. The Americans are, are not coming. Of course, we've got a new president that who knows what he's going to do, if he's going to roll back some of the things that Obama was able to open up with Cuba. But... Um, I still love going there. In a way, it'll be easier when it's not so crowded. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've noticed that, uh, you know, there are some people that make their living uh, street performing, you know, the, the cigar ladies, they expect tips when you take pictures of them. But more and more in my most recent trips, I'm starting to have people, you know, ask me for money. Um, and I, that never happened before. And that's just a function of, you know, the tourists coming in. And listen, I don't blame people for asking for something. I'm getting something from them if they're willing to pose for me. If it's a street portrait, why shouldn't I give them something? But as this, you know, longtime journalistic photographer, um, you know, unless it's a street performer, so on, or unless I spend time with people, then maybe I'll buy them a gift or, or give them something. Or if I'm on a commercial job and I'm making money, then I would pay. I tend to, if people ask for money um, and they're not, you know, those people I mentioned, I just go around the corner and just keep shooting because I want the authenticity of capturing the life in the streets in Cuba or anywhere to feel real, at least in my own mind, you know, to know that these weren't models posing for me, if, you know, and that's fair game. You can do that. That's fine. But that's just not the kind of thing that I'm looking for when I'm, when I'm traveling and shooting on the streets. So if you're not looking for, for those, I mean, you mentioned the lady smoking cigars, they want money. So I think they're definitely, if not less authentic, they're a bit of a cliche. So what, what do you look for in a place like Cuba? What are your favorite subjects? Well, again, as mentioned, it's the people. So, you know, for me personally, the more I can go off the beaten path, the better it is because I'm in situations and places that maybe most people don't go to. So it's always important for me as a travel photographer and I, uh, you know, is to, is to have some local um, working with me, for me, to t- take me to places um, that I'm going to find interesting. So, and, and to have, even though I don't have a lot of time to make those connections uh, meaningful in the time that I have. So for me, it's not, a, it's not just about seeing someone, you know, getting permission, shooting them candidly or getting permission and doing a quick shot i would rather take more time particularly if i think there's photographic reward at the end of the rainbow so to speak um, you put in the time and in my experiences the more time i put in often the stronger the images get the more intimate they get i get images that go below the surface and that's really what i'm hoping to do um, and to do that, you can't. You have to invest the time, and I'm not even talking about, you know, uh, a big amount of time. Even spending 15 minutes uh, will yield uh, strong dividends compared to the normal, just quick pose and shoot and move on kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I personally like, you know, images that um, 
you know, are, are stronger because of I've revealed something, you know, of the subject, of the place. And again, it's personal too. I think if a place scares me a little bit, I sort of follow that. I follow my curiosity. Obviously, I don't want to take any, uh, you know, chances that are going to jeopardize my safety or my stuff. But often I think people's fears are a little bit exaggerated and it's in their own head. And my experiences in my travels, like you guys, um, you know, have been overwhelmingly positive and I've had very little sort of negativity there. You mentioned pausing and uh, I know this can be a little bit of a controversial subject because I had discussions with people who said that if you pause your subjects, it's not street photography, to which I say, who cares? I mean, you can call it whatever you like, but if I still feel like yeah. I want to pose yeah. some subjects and no, I, I, portrait, I, I, <laughs> call it whatever you like, uh, yeah. it's still well, good I, photography, right? Listen, I, I think people um, are comfortable, you know, living under labels to a certain degree, but in your photographic journey, as much as you can use those labels as guides or as kind of uh, markers in the road to sort of help navigate you in your work, ultimately, um, you know, they're less important. And I think there's kind of a new documentary, and I think anything goes as long as you, the artist, are willing to say, this is what I do and this is how I do it. You know, guys like Bruce Gilden that run up to people in their face and use a flash and take a, an image, cutting out all natural light, capturing that moment, um, you know, for me, that doesn't feel right. And But I'm not going to judge him because I look at some of those photos and they're extraordinary. And, and that's what he does. And, you know, you want this diversity of, of different kinds of imagery uh, out there. I don't really care so much about a label, but I'm, but I'm willing to say, okay, this is what it is. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, as far as you know, when image when when people are looking in the camera, it's quite obvious to the viewer that you know that is some sort of a, a pose situation, even if it's just. Um, if they're looking away, you can't necessarily tell. Ultimately, it's the strength of the photograph that I'm most important about, and knowing that I got it in a authentic and sort of uh, way that I'm comfortable with. Um, I'm coming from journalism, guys, so I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, bound by those, those rules in my own head. Um, I realize that if I miss something, there's going to be another strong picture around the next corner, so I don't sweat it so much. You know, uh, just getting back to uh, the changes in Cuba, I haven't been going there much longer than you, but since 2010, and I just got back maybe two weeks ago, and I was a little bit uh, apprehensive about the changes that I would find because it had been about a year since I had gone, and I used to go uh, three, four times a year. But I was uh, actually very happily surprised with, uh, you know, what how I found things. Uh, hadn't it, some things had changed? So maybe a little bit for the worse. There were maybe more crowds, mostly from cruise ships coming in. You know, because there's not a lot of hotels. Uh, and accommodations, people are coming in with cruise ships. So, you know, 5,000 people dump into this old, old town that's uh, already a little bit overcrowded. But uh, the, the good changes I found were the fact that now there are, uh, you know, direct flights from the U.S. with regular scheduled airlines, where before we used to go on an American Airlines 
airplane with American Airlines crew, but it was a charter. And now this was the first time I'd ever gone on an American Airlines flight with American Airlines crew, but it was uh, an actual you know, AA flight where I got miles, I could choose my seat, I could check in early. Um, it was absolutely wonderful. I got upgraded um, and come <laughs> into this new terminal. And uh, I, I thought that, which always to me was the, the most tense part of my group trips was just getting my people you know, with from Miami to Havana and through the airport. And that was a huge load off my shoulders. So yeah, yeah, I felt were very good. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no question from a, uh, a personal travel point of view that makes all the difference. I mean, you still have to get there pretty early, but that new terminal, I like you was a little dumbfounded because it was just such a, uh, uh, 150% better experience in the new terminal versus the old and, you know, traveling in a way that wasn't just this, you got to line up four times to, to finally get on the plane. It's a, it's a lot easier, no question, especially, um, you know, coming from the United States and using, uh, and, and of course you can not only come from Miami now, you can, there are many other cities now that connect. So hopefully that will continue. Hopefully that will continue. And you're right about the cruise ships. I saw the cruise ships. I didn't necessarily feel the swell of population in my experience there. And I was there, I guess, a couple of months ago. Um, but yeah, they're there. And, you know, that's one way to alleviate the problem of accommodation is to mm-hmm. live on the cruise ship and just sort of, you know, enter out uh, into the city. But uh, no, it's still a place. I wouldn't worry... Uh, I wouldn't worry, you know, listeners out there that it's too late to go. Yeah. Uh, it's it's amazing, and of course the old cars and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful thing, and and the fact too is from our point of view, Ralph, um, the prices are going down, the accommodation now. They're you know because of this. Uh, hopeful swell of Americans that Cuba was hoping for, which hasn't completely materialized. They built, they're building more, more hotels. So some of the existing hotels that were filled to the brim are now uh, easing a little bit and there's more room and the prices that, that went up 30% are coming down again. So that's, that's good. You mentioned hotels, but when you, you go to Cuba, do you prefer to stay in hotels or do you go to Casas Particulares? Yeah, very good question, Hugo. I think that in my own travels, sometimes it helps to sort of stay in in real places. And, you know, there's a whole kind of Airbnb uh, situation in Cuba, again, because of all the tourists that were coming. But the workshops I have led thus far have all been in Havana. So we've kind of kept it to be a premium workshop in that, you know, we stay at the Parc Central, which for me is, you know, kind of the nicest hotel in the best location in Havana, mainly because because you know you're 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 out there on the street and i find even when i'm on assignment it's nice to be able to come back to a place that you have no stress you can relax you can spend the time editing and and that's how i sort of carve the workshop you know we have a dedicated bus we have a small group so people can leave their their stuff on the bus and then go back to the bus the bus is always you know not too far away um and that alleviates the the issue of you know what do i need to bring with me oh, i wish i had my long lens where you can go go get it so I think it's important as a photographer to be comfortable in the field, um, generally speaking, you know, have the equipment that you know works well, be, you know, temperature-wise comfortable, protected, et cetera. And, you know, when I'm 
in a place like that, um, and I almost feel guilty sometimes going back to this luxurious surrounding, but it, you know, again, my goal is to experience things and also come away with really strong pictures. And because we stay in Havana, we, we, we can do that. We can stay in one place and have it as our, our central control place where we hang out. Let me uh, tell you quickly what we do, Ugo. Um, I've always stayed at hotels in Havana, but we've had some issues. Now, the first couple times I went, I stayed at the Parque Central, which is, you know, probably Havana, if not Cuba's best hotel. But uh, we've had some issues with other hotels, especially in Havana. And so this last trip, uh, another reason that I, I really enjoyed it was uh, that this time we stayed at Casas Particulares in Havana. And it was a fantastic experience, uh, you know, staying in a neighborhood uh, where the real people live. And uh, that to me, that was uh, uh, just one more reason why I'm already planning a trip for 2018, which I was not sure if I was going to do before this most recent trip. Okay, so I guess there's something to be said for both types of accommodations. Yep. If you can get in the Parque Central, it's beautiful, but the prices are very very expensive mm -hmm. uh but uh if you want to i think a more uh locals experience um you know it's still included breakfast had made service and things like that our casa but uh it, it definitely wasn't a hotel yeah i think ralph just to to jump on to what you said i mean i think when you're able to find a place like you described that you were very comfortable with it's safe it's real in its own neighborhood you know that might be even better than staying in you know a luxurious hotel it really depends on on the 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 workshop i think both definitely have their part um you know we we have meetings every day at the hotel where we you know go over the work from the day before so it's just sort of convenient and and kind of makes sense and the itinerary is so much that you know we're not necessarily in our hotel very much during the week anyway but yeah that you painted a really uh positive picture about you know living you know as a local um in the place that you're you're in and 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 that will ultimately help you get stronger images too okay uh it would be great to chat with you for maybe another half an hour but i think we are already almost at the uh, we're actually over our initially allotted time and i think you have to go pick up your daughter at school or something. So, yeah, my um, little son. Absolutely. <laughs> your son, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, it's okay. I, I, just, I just realized we might have a chance to, to meet again soon and maybe do another interview in person because uh, yes. I think you'll be in Chicago for the Out of Chicago conference, right? Yes, that's yeah. correct. I'll be there too, so maybe we can record an interview live there. <laughs> Would love it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So before we, we wrap it up, uh, where can people go and find more about you online? Or if you have any other things that you would like to share, any upcoming, upcoming projects or workshops or tours? Sure. Um, yeah, the you know Ralph mentioned my my website is thepassionatephotographer.com. Uh, I've kind of taken that on as my brand. I am a passionate photographer, like you guys and and many of the listeners out there. And you know, there they'll be able to see 
some of the, the things that I've written about and and check out the workshops. You know, that's that's kind of um, where I've turned my attention. You know, as a photographer, making money, you know, surviving as a photographer is, is always difficult um, and assignments cannot be depended on. So I've really enjoyed teaching, you know, like you guys. Uh, it's just a great experience and it's just a very positive way to, to make money as a photographer. So, so, so we do workshops. We have one coming up in 10 days in, in Tokyo, still have a couple of spots left. I don't know when this is airing. And then we've just listed a bunch of Cuba workshops, Vancouver and New York City, which is my home. I do some street photography workshops here. So so that's what's uh, going on. I've also, um, you can see some of my courses on lynda.com. I have a new weekly show called Photo Critique of the Week, where I look at photographs and I talk about them and tear them apart and say what's great and what's not and how they can be improved. So people say that's been a little bit helpful for them. So, so yeah, I look forward to, to seeing both you guys very soon. I hope. Mm -hmm. Yep. <clears throat> Sounds great. Thanks so much, Steve, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time and for uh, enlightening our listeners. Appreciate that. Uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. Anytime you guys, for sure. So, Ugo, before we sign off, uh, do you have any trips, workshops, or speaking engagements you have coming up in the near future? Well, uh, yeah, a bit, a couple of trips here and there, short ones here in Europe. Um, got one to Belgium and one probably to France. But what I'm actually looking forward to is that next week I'm going to get finally get delivery of my new drone, my mm. DJI Mavic Pro. So I'll start flying. I'll start seeing if I can uh, take photos of the world from a different perspective from, from on high. Let's see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you know. And what about you? That's exciting. Uh, well, I am heading to uh, TBEX, the Travel Bloggers Exchange, this Saturday. So probably will have passed by the time uh, this episode comes out. But uh, I, this is in Jerusalem, Italy, excuse me, in uh, Jerusalem, Israel, that I'll be speaking. And uh, speaking of drones, though, I just saw something that said, uh, do not bring your drone to Israel. And they are very, very strict about uh, anything like that. So anyone going to Israel should be aware that uh, you do not want to bring your drone. Uh, otherwise, I will be going from Israel to Spain and Portugal and potentially Italy because I am um, working on my tour organizer training program where I'm going to be teaching people how to organize and lead their own special interest trips. And so I'll be putting together the content for that. But if people would like to uh, follow me and find out more about what I'm up to, please visit my website at photoenrichment.com. You can also look for me on all the social media platforms at both Photo Enrichment and Ralph Velasco. To find out more about Ugo. Yeah, you go please. to ucphoto.me. That's my main hub. And you can find everything about me by starting there. There's a start here page, which will tell you everything. Great. And if uh, you've been enjoying the show, which we hope you have been, be sure to tell your friends and to put in a review on iTunes. This really helps us to get noticed by more listeners. And uh, we appreciate your being a part of the show. Thanks, folks. And this will go live uh, at ttim.photo forward slash 69.